Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Are you sitting comfortably? You're about to listen to an extract taken from my book on Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble. This is chapter six, English lessons. During the extract, I describe how some of Spain's better footballers, Cesc Fabregas, Gerard Piquet, Alvaro Arbaloa, players easily recognised today, began to extend their horizons beyond the boundaries of their country and how this specifically helped improve the fortunes of their national side. Playing abroad had traditionally been a foreign concept for Spanish footballers, but I explain how, for many of the country's young stars, playing in other European leagues brought opportunities which they weren't getting back home. British football in particular helped La Roja to dominate at three major tournaments between 2008 and 2012, with Joan Captavilla acknowledging that the Spaniards who played in England learned to become hardy competitors as well as skillful footballers. My book on Spain is available in full as an audiobook from the great folk at Audible. You can get it absolutely free if you sign up for a 30-day trial membership at audible.co.uk. We'll bring you The Making of Pep, an extract from Barca and the Making of the Greatest Team in the World. Next, enjoy. Chapter 6. English Lessons Fernando Oyero is sitting, beer in hand, underneath a black and white print of Alfredo Di Stefano. It's Friday afternoon. Tomorrow is match day. Next to him is Ivan Campo, a fellow European Cup winner at Real Madrid. They're in a bar, but they're untroubled by fans. There are no queues of madrileños hoping to talk to them, touch them, demand autographs and pictures from them, or phoning the club to report them for gross misconduct. Beer. On a pre-match afternoon, the very idea. Raúl González Blanco, probably the most iconic Real Madrid and Spain player in modern history, is leaning on a drum. He's in full playing kit, standing on the wall behind the goal, a microphone in his hand, as his adoring fans demand that their hero lead them in song. Raúl roars, Forwards! Forwards, which is a pretty complicated word for a foreigner. His teammates and the Schalke fans roar back, Forwards Schalke! Then they all make the best job of helping the Spaniard chant, Forwards Schalke! Kämpfen und siegen! Fight and win! Forwards Schalke! Auf geht's zum Sieg! Forward Schalke to victory. It's a typical fan song about struggling, overcoming obstacles and achieving victory. But it's not really Raoul territory. 
These are astonishing moments for those who've known these regal, aloof men during previous eras in their careers. But things have changed. Hierro is not in Madrid with his beer in his hand. The year is 2004, and he's in Harper's Bar and Restaurant in Manchester, a Bolton Wanderers player for a season, one in which they will claim a UEFA Cup place for the first time. Raul is not at the Bernabeu. It's December 2011, and he's just scored a hat-trick for Schalke 04 against Werder Bremen. The fans have roared his name until they're hoarse, and he's trotted from the halfway line to stand up behind the goal and sing with his adoring public. Both these snapshots tell the story of Spain slowly waking up to the outside footballing world, learning from it, and fundamentally changing. Raúl and Hierro were the crowned monarchs of Royal Madrid, austere, ultra-Spanish. Most in their country would have bet their life savings that these two players were destined never to leave Los Blancos, let alone play in Bolton or Gelsenkirchen. By spring 2011, less than a year after leaving Madrid, Raúl would admit to being stunned at how happy he was in Germany and of his regret that he hadn't taken this decision at a slightly younger age. He was fulfilled by the professionalism and the atmosphere of the Bundesliga. On leaving, he made that crystal clear. Raúl explained, These two years have been extraordinary. I will never forget that, and from what I've seen, the people won't forget me soon either. I've enjoyed every match and every journey. I've really felt euphoric, because I fitted in perfectly with my teammates. Things were just wonderful, especially the fans. Everybody had told me about them. But when you see it for yourself, how they feel about their club, it's almost like a religion. It's just wonderful. I'm not just saying it. To play for Schalke has been one of the best experiences in my life. I've no words to express what the fans have given me. To pay back their love, I should have scored more goals. I felt at home here, equal to what I felt like at Madrid for over 17 years. Raúl's former Real Madrid captain, Hierro, used to quite happily jump in Sam Allardyce's minibus for the drive from Bolton's Reebok Stadium to the Euxton training ground and then back, still covered in mud, back to the showers at the Reebok. For Florentino Pérez, Zinedine Zidane and the majority of the Madrid football media, this would have been an unbelievable spectacle. But, Hierro says, I was very lucky to experience what the Premier League is all about. The mentality, the football, the atmosphere and the spirit. We Spaniards were unused to leaving our country and playing abroad. It was normal for other players, foreign players, to come to us and play in Spain. So the exodus of some of our players to the English League certainly brought lots of new inspiration and it's enriched them. They learn what football is about, how the love of football is transmitted. You've got to put everything into it, spirit and lots of desire. It helps Spanish football as well. We can have up to 10 of our players employed in England at any given time and a handful of them will be in the national squad. Hierro and Raul 
have helped show that even Spain's ancien regime endorse the changing times. However, the young musketeers have long since gone through the same induction to this new culture. The young Gerard Piquet, phoning the same firm of Manchester scallywags to fit a satellite dish on the roof of his sail flat, naively unaware that it was these same men who'd stolen the dish they'd fitted on three previous occasions. Fernando Torres, confident that he'd mastered English, but failing to understand a single word that Jamie Carragher was saying. Arsene Wenger taking 19-year-old Cesc Fabregas aside on the London Colney training ground and asking him, I'd like your opinion on whether I should sell Patrick Vieira or not. Talented young Spaniards getting used to the vagaries of the world outside their cosseted home life. Over the previous three decades, while Brazil, Argentina, Germany, Italy, France, Holland, Denmark, Czechoslovakia, Paraguay, Chile, Peru, South Africa, Egypt, Zaire, Ghana, Morocco, Nigeria, Zambia and even Greece won a tournament or two, La Roja turned failure into an art form. The sharp irony is that today, with England now far behind them, Spain owe an enormous part of their tournament toughness, the change in their competitive mentality and organisation, to the Premier League. Some of the finest young players have emigrated there and returned, cross-fertilising their new ideas and habits with those who have not, so far, played outside La Liga. Because the last 50 years have seen a constant stream of La Liga clubs venturing out and winning international trophies, and because their shores have been open to mass tourism since the early 1970s, it isn't easy to conceive of Spain as a closed and blinkered nation. However, for many of the country's leading football figures, that description was not only true, it influenced first how they were taught and then how they acted, from their initial childhood steps to the end of their careers. Part of the blame lies with Francisco Franco, Spain's pernicious dictator from 1939 to 1975. I'm neither a sociologist nor an academic. However, I've lived in Spain for 12 years now, and I know what I've seen, I know what I've experienced, and what has been related to me. During generations of dictatorial rule, a leader with a stunted, miserly, bitter and self-serving view of the world attempted to inculcate fear and loathing of outside societies among a general population who were told to believe that everything within heaven and earth could be found in Spain. When things went wrong, it was because there were dark outside forces, conspiracies, demon foreigners who were against Spain. Of course, Spain bred some liberal thinkers, audacious people, academics who knew the world was moving on and leaving their country behind. But the friends, families and communities around many generations of Spanish footballers taught them to have almost blind faith in the state, to always do things our way and to regard the vast majority of foreign influences as negative or dangerous. In his book, A Time of Silence, Michael Richards explains that Franco thought that liberalism had turned the Spanish state 
into a rotting corpse which would only be buried by fascism and strict hierarchical authority. Franco's solution to degeneration was treatment through a physical and psychological quarantine. The sense of an attack on our world by the forces of darkness, by something formless and chaotic, was very powerful. Franco himself warned that for the health of society, as for the health of bodies, a quarantine is needed for those who come from the plague-infested territories. Indeed, Spain, in this period, could be visualised as a huge mental asylum or isolation ward. Once the true Spanish essence had been reconquered, Franco believed, it had to be kept pure from any contamination and so the country's doors had to remain firmly closed. The boom associated with 1970s tourism to Spain and following Franco's death, the return of thousands who'd emigrated to other countries to escape dictatorship, began to allow foreign ideas to seep into Spanish society and culture. Nevertheless, the effects of 40 years of brutal dictatorship needed time to dissipate. For example, Carlos Puyol was born just one year after Spain's first democratic elections since the 1930s. When Xavi Hernández, Iker Casillas and Carlos Marchena were babies, Spain suffered an attempted military coup. As recently as 1981, Antonio Tejero took 200 armed Guardia Civil and occupied part of the Madrid Parliament. Jaime Milans del Bosch, who fought in the Blue Division, which joined the Nazis on the Russian front, ordered tanks out onto the streets of Valencia in 1981 in support of Tejero and declared a state of emergency. The city of Valencia was completely sealed off from the rest of the country as Milans del Bosch and Tejero waited for military garrisons all over Spain to come out in support. In the end, only a televised appeal from King Juan Carlos peacefully quashed the siege. This was Spain, just one year before it hosted the 1982 World Cup, a country still gripped by uncertainty about how to think, act and teach in the absence of the straitjacket of dictatorship. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The generations of apparently jinxed Spanish footballers at the major tournaments came from a lineage which believed their values were the only values and that the outside world was probably corrupt and malevolent. It was not viable to argue that Spain's players caused all their own tournament misfortunes. Franco's Spain imposed beliefs and norms which meant that their footballers did not possess all of the knowledge and skills needed in order to assimilate and overcome failure. The generation of Xavi and Casillas were the vanguard, about to be brought up in a society which could be falteringly self-confident rather than arrogant, ready to question rather than be complacent, interested in the outside world and not blinkered. Indeed, deeply ambitious and not fearful of the unknown. This generation needed a transfusion of international football and the rise and rise of the Champions League began to supply just that. Until 1992, the European Cup allowed one club per country to enter and it was a knockout. It restricted to the elite clubs the process of players and coaches learning via experience and that experience could be very brief. The Champions League eventually provided six European group matches for up to four teams from the one country. Now, something like 60 Spanish players could earn experience of foreign travel, foreign food, strange pitches, odd referees, hostile crowds, different climates. Gradually, the differences between football cultures began to be eroded. The next vitamin was televised football. For generations, 99% of what Spaniards viewed on television was their own product, with occasional sightings of UEFA football or South American tournament finals. The way the game was refereed, what players could expect in terms of physical contact, the pace of a game, what was streetwise and what was cheating, all these concepts were embedded and unchallenged. For this winning group, English football arrived on television schedules once a week at first, but eventually almost without limit. And then came the exodus. Gaisca Mendieta, an established Spain international and twice a Champions League finalist with Valencia, went to Lazio for €45 million Euros in 2001 and in 2003 helped Middlesbrough win their only knockout trophy, the League Cup. He still believes that leaving Spain in 2001, when José Antonio Camacho was still the coach, did not help his international career flourish. Nevertheless, he strongly endorses the idea that it was imperative for top Spanish footballers to experiment with and take benefit from other cultures while still at the peak of their careers. Mendieta told me, Changing the mentality of the top Spanish footballers and adding toughness, that was definitely something we needed to improve. Spain was known as La Furia Roja, the Red Fury, and certainly we saw ourselves as España de Cojones, Spain with balls. Perhaps it transpires we exaggerated a little 
and it wasn't always reflected in our game. We were always a side who liked to play the ball. And I'd agree with people who say that our country was still developing in those days. Spain was a bit behind England and Germany in many ways. That was definitely reflected in our football. When the French team won the World Cup in 1998, 12 of the 14 players they used to win the final were playing their club football abroad. But at that time, not one of our guys was. Having footballers with experience abroad definitely benefits the whole team. It won't automatically make you a better player, but it makes you more of a man, a more rounded footballer with a bit of world experience. It changed everybody's mentality, players, fans, media, when some of us began to go abroad. Suddenly, people were interested in other leagues, and that opens your mind. There are a number of different factors in creating a successful team. The players, their innate talent, the manager, the directors, the federation, the group dynamic, timing, and so on. But having the right mentality is crucially important. Spain was a nation which made it to the quarterfinals, but no further. We were in a rut, and we needed to make that mental leap to start believing that we could compete with Germany, France, with anyone. The trickle of players who left Spain became an exodus, but their stories were not always the same. There were those who wanted better wages, those who felt badly treated by their club and had a canny agent with a contact in Poland or Slovakia, those who simply wanted a life adventure and thus invaded Scotland, Romania, Cyprus or Greece. Then there was the elite group of players who succeeded in England and returned better equipped to advance this golden age for the national team. The remarkable thing, in retrospect, is that this armada of alpha male players largely went to the Premier League because Spanish clubs didn't trust them enough to give them the responsibility they sought in England. The goose laid golden eggs, but wouldn't hatch them. The daddy of them all, Xavi Hernandez, was very tempted to go to Manchester United well over a decade ago. By his own admission, only pig-headed stubbornness meant that he decided to have one more try at establishing himself at the club he loved, Barcelona. Within a very short space of time after that decision, Fabregas and Piquet chose a different path. They sought to better themselves at Arsenal and Manchester United, respectively. When he was leaving Villarreal, Pepe Reina would have eaten his own football boots in order to sign for the club his father kept goal for in the 1974 European Cup final, Atletico Madrid. Instead, Liverpool put faith in him and put money on the table too. Real Madrid were within an inch of buying Xabi Alonso from Real Sociedad in 2004, but again, Liverpool were quicker and more brave. Alonso says, It shows that Cesc went to England when he was 16, Torres at 22, and I went at that age. Piquet spent a few years there, Reina too, enjoying the chance to develop in one of Europe's big clubs outside Spain has obliged all of us to adapt and to become much better footballers.
This obviously helps the national side. Real Madrid didn't have faith in their own youth product, Alvaro Arbeloa, until he knocked Barcelona out of the Champions League with Liverpool, played in the final of that competition and helped Spain to win Euro 2008. Since Madrid brought him back again, he's won five more trophies, including the World Cup. Despite Spain's preeminence at developing young footballers, despite the avalanche of international trophies they won at youth level, it wasn't that long ago there was a climate of suspicion about trusting them with first-team football at a young age and a willingness to, first, spend money on expensive foreign stars. One of the most successful Spanish exports and a touchstone player for La Roja in the last three winning finals is Fernando Torres. He moved from the club he supports, Atletico Madrid, to Liverpool in 2007. And he told me, traditionally, La Roja's biggest problems lay in the fact that Spanish players weren't given opportunities in La Liga's biggest clubs, and nor did they tend to go abroad in those days either. As a result, they didn't get experience in the great European teams. Go to any Spain World Cup squad before 2006, and you'll see a mix of players from the big four clubs, but also from five or six smaller clubs in Spain. We just weren't as competitive as we would have been if the squad list had been from Chelsea, Arsenal, Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico, Milan and Inter. Spanish football was wearing blinkers. It didn't seem to even occur to anyone to play overseas and the country's hopes were therefore all pinned on the likes of Raul, Pep, Mendieta. Look at Zidane's French team which won the 98 World Cup. Look how it was composed. Our guys, who were winning so much at under-20 level with Spain, were then being told by their clubs that they weren't needed. They had better players. That is when you begin to see this exodus of players with all the skills they'd learned in Spanish youth football. Fabregas going to Arsenal at 15, Piquet next, Xabi Alonso and Arbeloa joining them in England. People weren't scared to go abroad anymore. Suddenly those players were coming back from Liverpool and Arsenal to play for the national team. So you then get a kid from Arsenal going to the World Cup aged 19, Fabregas. If he'd stayed at Barca in those days, he'd probably have got his first cap aged 24, which is almost the age Iniesta had to wait until, even though he's a footballer with skills from a different planet. The difference between the under-21 side and the full national side is that at under-21 level, you're only playing against kids your age and size. If you triumph at that level but go back to your La Liga club and are told that you are going to get limited experience or you're playing in a side fighting relegation, then you don't get opportunities to improve. You don't gain experience. You can't then compete against the great international sides like France or Brazil, where the majority of their guys are at Milan, Juventus, Chelsea or Bayern. All those who went away to thrive in foreign leagues have helped, so that now you have David Silva at City, Santi Cazorla at Arsenal, Juan Mata at Chelsea and then United. Finally, clubs like Barcelona and latterly Madrid are beginning to trust their homegrown players. 
but no good footballer from Spain is now afraid to go abroad to better his career and to become an improved player. Torres himself was a key footballer for Atletico age 17 and an international by 19. He's cynical, though. He says, if Atleti had been pushing for the title instead of in Division 2, then perhaps I'd not have been trusted so early. And if Spain were already world champions, I'd have had a much longer wait to make my debut. There's a myriad of things which change when a Spaniard goes particularly to England. Given how little the Anglo-Saxon majority in the Premier League care for trying to learn foreign languages, Spaniards are forced to learn English if they are to stick around. Spanish players in England talk repeatedly about the intensity and professionalism of football life there. Generally, although clearly not always, rules are tighter, timings are tighter, hierarchy is more clear-cut and training is more intense. Generally, fans are more respectful in public situations and far more passionate and loyal in match situations. Top-level footballers notice these things. The play in England toughens them up. They return with a heightened awareness that their technique, their football intelligence and their tactical awareness set them apart, but they are no longer technically exquisite powder puffs. The challenges which referees allow in England change the Spanish mentality about what is simply hard-nosed competition and what's an attempt to maim. Even before the Euro 2008 final when Spain defeated his national side, the great Reiner Bonhoff, world champion in his own playing days and still an astute talent developer, admitted that Germany could kiss goodbye to what was once a significant advantage. He explained, Football has changed radically because now not only do the Germans play in Spain and the Brazilians play in Germany, the Spanish play in England too. That mix of football and cultures has totally erased the physical dominance we once had over the southern European teams. The guy who proved to be Arsenal's best player in his debut season of 2012-13 agrees. His name is Santi Cazorla. Playing in England makes you much more competitive, different all round. Those of us who have had the good luck to work in the Premier League have brought something special back to the national team. That's been a very important factor in Spain's evolution. So, what about those who stayed? What differences did they notice in their La Roja teammates when they returned from England this footballing laboratory in which silk and steel have been interbred. Joan Capdevila. Guys go to England and they're transformed by the experience. Look at Arbaloa. He changed enormously during his time at Liverpool and then he was able to come back and command a place at Real Madrid. I doubt he'd have made it if he hadn't had that time in Liverpool. Players come back so much stronger. Everything is different over there. The lifestyle, the daily routine. For example, here in Spain, the evening meal is a big production. In England, it's all over by 7pm. It must add a bit of order to people's lives 
and you see that reflected in the way the Spaniards play when they come back. They're much more focused, much more disciplined on the pitch. In fact, I'd be all for introducing a rule that says all Spanish clubs have to play a game in England once a month. Given that Spain added English toughness and organisation to their existing high-functioning skill set and dominated the world for seven years, then what would happen if technical excellence could be added to English hunger and aggressiveness? Over to FA Chairman Greg Dyke, or whichever former business executive is trying to reinvent the football wheel in London this month. The Big Interview is produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the music that you love, is Beer Jacket, who's always been there for us. Big hug to you, baby. You can keep up with everything that we do, within reason. You can enter exclusive competitions and put your questions to our future Big Interview guests by getting on the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. How many times do I have to tell you? Yes, Several thousand of you have done it, but come on, slackers at the back, sign up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Without you, this would be fun, but a lot less fun. See you soon.